take your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2, because we're not here for a man's opinion, we're here for the Bible. What I say will come and go and never be remembered for the most part, but what the Bible says will never be forgotten. And so it's best to preach out of the Bible, something that will last. When I was, uh, the first sermon I ever preached, I believe I was 19 years old, and I preached, I, what did I know about life? Very little and nothing. What did I know about God? I knew not much about God either. I'd walked with him some, but didn't know a whole lot about the Bible, about God, about life. But the preacher told me, interesting, he said, he said son, just preach the Bible. It's older than anybody here. I thought, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's 2,000 years old, some of it's uh, 3,500 years old. And so, yes, the Bible's powerful. And so I want to talk to you about a, about a thing that bothers me, has bothered me for many years in Christianity, that uh, we, we, get, we need to talk about, we need to try to nail down this morning. I was, I think I mentioned a little bit of this a, a couple of weeks ago. I was in the parking lot with a man, 58-year-old man, that had come do a little bit of work at the church, and I was just talking to him, and I gave him an invitation to come to church, and he mentioned to me that, that he, doesn't, he didn't go to church, hadn't gone to church, didn't really wasn't a religious person. And yet he mentioned his dad, which also was like him, but in the latter years of his dad's life, the last 10 years of his dad's life, his dad made a profession of faith, trusted Christ. And he said, I know my dad well. And he said, my dad had something. He changed. He was different. And he had something, he says, that I need right now. I need in my life. I don't have. And I thought, wow. God's calling this man. And so I got to give him the gospel and talk to him. I said, well, what are you resisting about going to church? And he said, well, there are hypocrites in church. And he said, all they talk about is money. Seems like all they were after is your money. Now, those things are not true for the most part, but they are true in some part. He wasn't making that up. It was his impression of where he had gone. I know I didn't know where he went. I got thinking about that and came to this uh, place in the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Eli was a priest of God, a high, high responsibility. He would be equal to being a pastor today, a senior pastor somewhere. Even more so than his day, though, he was really responsible to the whole nation of Israel. And he was to make sure that the offerings of the Lord were done correctly, done according to the Pentateuch, the law of Moses, that they did it right. And so it was his responsibility we pick up in verse 12 of chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. It says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. The word Belial means worthless. They knew not the Lord. And I, need, I want, through all this message this morning, I want you to remember these few statements. They knew not the Lord. And i got to stop right here and, and, and say something. A good friend of mine, for many years, since 1980 and before, really, uh, Jim Odom, pastor of Seagate Baptist Church, for many years, on Father's Day, that was last Sunday, got to meet his father. He went home with the Lord. His, uh, his funeral service will be tomorrow at 11.30, if any of you would like to attend down at Seagate Baptist Church. He was an honorable man, an upright man that loved God. 
and wanted to do the right thing. And we appreciate him as one of my colleagues in the faith. And so let me return to this now. Um, the problem with these boys of Eli was that they were posers. They were pretenders. They were pretending to be Christians. While in designated offices that they had received because of their family, they had received this office of priest coming down through their daddy, Eli. And the real problem with uh, the situation with Eli and his sons, with these boys, they knew not the Lord. I like the Bible. There's no gray area. It's black and white. And if you skip down there to verse 17, wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. And this is important to remember this phrase, for men abhorred the offerings of the Lord. So because of these two young men, because of their hypocrisy, and because of their mis misdealings with the offerings of God, stealing, if as it were, embezzlement of the things of God, obviously and openly, and because of their, it says in that passage, their open immorality that they had, people began to abhor the offerings of the Lord. That man in the parking lot, I said, there are hypocrites in church. The church is a hospital, and we want every sick person out there to come. We're not, we're not a museum of perfect examples of Christians all gathered together on Sunday. We're sick people, sin-sick people that need the Lord, like she's saying. We're people who need the grace of God. We're people who need the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We don't come here as, we're, as a bunch of perfect people. We come here as people in need of God and what He offers to us. So I would not be surprised to see hypocrites in church. Now, maybe he was talking about some leadership that he had seen that was hypocritical, and that's really even worse. Um, I told the boy, I said, don't go to hell because of some hypocrite. Because they're going to be in hell, and you're not going to be with them. Because hypocrites are not going to heaven. True hypocrites are not going to heaven. Posers are not going to heaven. Because the Bible says there in verse 12, they knew not the Lord. Ultimately, though they looked like they knew the Lord, they sounded like they knew the Lord, they acted like they knew the Lord, they had a position, official position as if they knew the Lord, they did not know the Lord. God looks at the heart, man looks on the outward appearance, but God gets to go right inside and look at the heart. What you do in secret, what you believe, and what you think about in secret, God looks at. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 27. And there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear to the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And the answer is yes. And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? That was his, his great-grandfather. Let me go down the road. To offer upon mine altar to burn incense to wear an ephod upon him? And the answer is yes. And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire? of the children of Israel. The people who brought offerings to the temple, part of that offering went to those who worked at the temple, sons of Levi, Aaron, and his descendants. 
And then he asked him in verse 29, Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and mine offerings, which I commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Eli had brought his sons in to be priests, I guess whether they really deserved it or not. My son and I have talked about this. It's called nepotism. Nepotism. There's an example of that there. Therefore the Lord God of Israel said, I said indeed that thy house and thy father's house should walk before me forever. But now, the Lord said, be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. God's promises, in, in much of God's promises, are conditional. If you serve God and obey him, he'll bless you. You turn away from him, he'll be your enemy. Behold, the days come, and I will cut off mine arm, thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, and there shall not be an old man in thy house. Verse 35, and I will raise up a faithful priest, that Samuel is speaking to, about, that shall do according that which is in mine heart and in my mind, and I will build him a secure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. What turns people off to Christianity? I've been around a little bit, door to door, house to house, talk to people, try to be a witness wherever I go, and I find people often are turned off to the things of God. Have you ever met a person who just dislikes Christianity? Well, if you ever watch major news, you're seeing them. They don't just dislike Christianity, they abhor it. Christianity is a threat to them. It goes beyond the simple, I do not prefer to be a Christian or or be around Christians. it's, It's not the lack of their personal need to be saved or have some kind of spiritual help because they even sense that they have some spiritual needs. It's not due to the fact that Christ himself is not attractive to them because Christ indeed, the Bible says if you raise the Son of God up, he'll draw all men to himself. There's an attraction to the gospel. There's an attraction to the cross. The whole world, whether they believe it or not, celebrate Christmas pretty much. Easter, much of the world. It's not because the Bible has been discredited necessarily, because it has not, even though people oppose it. Let me tell you, if there were mistakes, honest-to-goodness contradictions in the Bible, don't you think thousands of years ago they would have been brought up and settled? The point is that we still have a Bible here. Very, We have the Word of God today, going back all the way to the apostles, and we have the Word of God. The fact that we still have it and it cannot be overthrown tells you the power of the preserved Word of God. People say there's a lot of contradictions in the Bible. I always say the same thing. Show them to me. They don't know. They don't know what they're talking about. Or it's not because that these people are in a cult or ingrained in some other teaching, but because they've been turned off by so-called believers, which I believe are similar to the two boys of Eli that really were posers and oftentimes did not even know the Lord personally. Take your Bibles, if you could, to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18. 
We'll read briefly, responsibility of believers. We have a responsibility not to push people away from the light. We, personally, you have a responsibility. as a, If you go around and you wear a Christian t-shirt or you talk about Christ or you tell people you're a born-again believer, you tell people you believe the Bible, you tell people you're uh, uh, saved or use any of those terms and you let them know that somehow you're attached to Christianity, you're going to either attract people to Christianity or you're going to push them off. So what are you doing? Are you attracting people by the way you live, by your consistency, by your honesty, by your humility, by your transparency, or are you pushing them off by duplistic double living, double standard living, by hypocrisy? Good question. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18 says, When I say to the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked of his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. I'm going to try to teach you the responsibility of a believer this morning. We're responsible to live in such a way as to attract people to Christ. And if we do not, even if we keep quiet, even your silence is, is sentencing them to an eternal separation from God in hell. And so we're going to be held responsible by God even for our silence. In other words, when we should have spoken, we didn't. We didn't warn him. He said, his blood will I require at thine hand. Look at verse 19. And if thou warn the wicked, you, you speak, and he turn not from his wickedness nor his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. We have a shared responsibility. Not only in the third chapter of Ezekiel, but repeated again almost exactly in the 33rd chapter of Ezekiel. In verse 8 and 9 it says, When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. And thou not speak to warn the wicked of his, of his way. The wicked man shall die in his iniquity. His blood will require thine hand. Almost a duplication. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he turn not from his way, he shall die in his iniquity. Thou shalt deliver thy soul. Now, I can't even exactly tell you what all that means. There's going to be a judgment for born-again believers called the judgment seat of Christ. Mentioned in the book of Corinthians where everything we do is going to be piled up under the under the judgment fire of God, and the things which were hay, wood, and stubble get burned up and be gone, and gold, silver, gold, and precious stone, they're going to be kept. And the Bible says at that time of judgment, the person that's being judged, if their works are burned up, they're going to suffer loss, even to the place where some of those folks are only saved as by fire. In other words, they don't have any good works left, it seems like. They're just saved under the blood of Christ, but they have no good works for God. You say, well, I won't care. I'll be glad to be in heaven. You're fooling yourself and you're lying to yourself. You know it's bad to lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Just like you care today about the things that go on in your life, how much more will we care about the things in heaven when we get there before Jesus? And we see it's all real. This is all is what it is. Whoa. See, we walk by faith now, but there's going to be by sight. It's going to impact you. It's going to knock your socks off. Paul, agreeing with his teaching in Ezekiel chapter 3 and Ezekiel chapter 33, says in Acts chapter 20, verse 26, he says, Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I'm pure from the blood of all men. That's a phenomenal statement. 
Paul says, I, I, I've been faithful to preach the gospel to every creature. I've been faithful to warn the wicked of their wicked way. I've been faithful to say you're wrong when it's uncomfortable to say you're wrong. I've been faithful to be unpopular among my own people. And he was unpopular among the Jews, was he not? Who whipped him all those times? Who beat him with uh, the rods? And who? It was the Jews that did that most of the time. His own countrymen. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And yet it was, he, he was willing to stand up for truth, whatever it costs him. And he says, I'm free, I'm pure from the blood of all men. What a statement that is. So how are we responsible to others around us? Well, as we look at the examination of Eli's sons, you see specifically that they turned off people to the things of God because they were pseudo-believers. They were religious people who in reality were sons of Belial. Chapter 2, verse 12 of 1 Samuel. I want you to get this. Don't be surprised in Christianity when you meet a pastor who's a hypocrite or you meet a deacon that's a hypocrite or you go to a church, all they talk about is the money. What I've learned in life is corruption floats like a dead, bloated animal to the top. Look at our government today. Who do we have in power? Pelosi? Schumer? Biden? Corruption floats like a dead, bloated animal to the top. It just has a tent. Why? Because the God of this world, he owns it. This is not, this is not, this is not the world that God wants. This is not the world Christ wants. The Bible says that, that Satan is the prince and power of the air. He's the God of this world. This is his world. You say, I can't believe God. Let's just go on. That's because this is not his world. This is Satan's world. God intervened some or the whole thing. These people would just destroy each other if God didn't intervene. It wasn't for the soul of the world and the light of the world like we are holding the evil back. God would, like the people of Noah, have to destroy them all. They'd go so bad that he'd say, look, I repent that I made them, and I'm going to destroy them again. But we're in the middle of them. He picked out Abraham, chapter 12, chapter 15 of Genesis, so that he would be the salt to hold that back so there would not be a destruction of everybody like there was at the flood. Now remember, when he put that rainbow in the sky, that just means that God's not going to kill everybody by water. That doesn't mean that God's not going to kill everybody. Read the book of Revelation. The world population. In one judgment, a quarter of the world's population is going to be killed. The tribulation period is a time of God's wrath upon man. You say, man, I don't know why God doesn't come out and judge some of this stuff. He will. You be patient. Because right now is the time of grace. It's the time that whosoever will may come. It's the time that if you want to be saved, no matter what background you've got, Jesus is God's son, and his precious blood will cleanse you from all sin. I don't know why everybody doesn't get saved. I don't know. Well, I do know, I guess, what I'm speaking about this morning. Like that, what that man said to me out in the parking lot, the hypocrisy and the money is pushing that guy away from the light. I said, man, you misunderstand it. Those people probably aren't even Christians. 
like these sons of Eli. They probably aren't even part of the faith. Oh, they got robes of Christianity. They got titles of Christianity. They walk around as if they're Christian, but they're posers. They're not real. I said, there's a lot of legitimate born-again believers out there that have lived their honest, upright life. Now, if you're looking for perfect people, you're never going to find them. If you knew me very long, you would say, I can't believe. You wouldn't say, you would not say, I can't believe how wonderful he is. I'll tell you, I have to go to my people that work for me in the school and the church here regularly and ask them to forgive me for some stupidity I did or said. I get tired of that. How about you, Tom? I get tired of that. I'll be glad when I finally go to heaven don't have to apologize anymore. But let me tell you, if you want to stay right with people, you got to let them know you're real. If you put on this code of hypocrisy that I, I've got it all together, you don't, but I got it all together, they're going to see through that pretty soon. They're going to be around you pretty soon. They're going to say, he's a hypocrite. These sons, of, these sons of Belial, these worthless sons of Eli, were second-generation Christians, I'm going to call them for my sake. They knew better. They had all the opportunity. Why is that the son of a preacher? Is so bad oftentimes. Why is the reputation of preacher's sons, boy, they're some of the worst. No offense, Troy. There are exceptions. Praise God for that. I remember when Troy was born, I know the syndrome. And I raised him up as a little baby, held him in my two hands. I said, oh, God. Oh, God, help him. Help him not to be like some of the preacher's sons I've known. Help him to trust Christ like I got to trust Christ. Help him to know you like I got to know you. Help him to be real like I've tried to be real with God and you and everybody. Not like Eli's sons. Why? Because if you act like that, people are going to abhor the offering of the Lord. These so-called men of God in the service of God, full-time ministry, working for the church, as it were, putting it in our terminology, these sons of Eli perverted the tithes and offerings of God. They had their hand in the till. I've known, I've known pastors, that, senior pastors that pastor a church, and nobody knows how much money comes in because they take the offerings and deposit them, and, nobody, and they write all the checks without any accountability, without anybody checking what they're doing, and nobody knows how much they make. Nobody knows what they own. That causes people not to want to be Christian. What do you want? You want what we do here at Gospel. What do we do here at Gospel? I have no access to any money, any account. I'm not, my name is not on anything at Gospel Baptist Church. Neither is Chris and neither is Thomas and neither will any pastor of this church as by the grace of God. We have an accountant. She's under accounting rules. She has checking. We have auditors. We have people that bring the money in, count it, give an account to somebody else who recounts it, and then a person who deposits it, and that person checks this person, checks this person. If you designate money to go somewhere, it goes exactly where you designate it, or we ask you, do you want the money back? You say, you ever do that? Absolutely, I've done that. 
I've had thousands of dollars given to the church, and we didn't weren't able to use it for what they wanted to use it for. I said, if you, we can't use it for what you wanted it used for, we're going to have to give it back to you. And they'll say, normally, normally they say, I've already given it. You go ahead. And, I said, well, what do you want it for? Where do you want it to go? That's the way I'd want to be treated. I've known folks, they have a big deal where they collect money to do something. Eventually, they take the money and do, do something else and never ask the church never, if it's okay to do that. That's why people despise the offering of the Lord. Over and over, money, money. And another thing is, they talk about money too much. Talk, talk, talk. Money, 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 money. Talk, talk, talk. Let's have some, you can't believe how much material I get in the mail that, that trying to help me fleece you. Oh, we got a neat little way of fleecing these people. They don't use that terminology. But you can raise a bunch of money if you use our little slick deal here and instead do that. We don't do slick stuff. We got, when we built this building, $750,000, uh, it was the biggest thing we'd ever tried to do. We paid as we went. I didn't know how in the world it was going to happen. I got on my knees night after night after night and said, God, I'm going to be the biggest fool this side of the Pecos. I mean, they're going to make, they're going to run me out of here. How in the world are we ever going to raise $750,000? But God, you are God. And I believe you can do anything. And if we never test you, we never know. Bill Davis was our treasurer. He had just gotten saved. Now, he had been a real responsible individual, been an accountant, had 20 guys working for him. We're for a glass, a large glass company, traveled all over 74 foreign countries. He had a, had a budget given to him, $120 million, very responsible man. He got saved here at the gospel, he and his wife. He became our treasurer. He became our uh, financial secretary, whatever you call him. He said, I've never seen anything like this preacher. He came to me and he said one Sunday, we got a bill for the drywall, $112,000, and we don't have any money for it. I'm like, why are you telling me? Because when you're the head guy, you're going to take the beating. I said, oh, God. He told me Sunday before I preached. We were getting, I said, we took an offering that Sunday. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, you got to show yourself strong. Pretty soon after the service, he came running, almost running down the aisle. He came quickly down the aisle. He said, preacher, preacher, preacher. I never said a word. He said, we got $160,000 in this morning for the building. I go, glory to God, there, hallelujah. You know what I found in the ministry? The less you talk about money, the better off you are. Be honest, be transparent, do right, give financial statements. You don't have to be a member of gospel to have a financial statement here. We'll give you one. You don't have to be. If you want to know what we do, where we go, you want to know how much I make, how much Chris makes, how much Thomas makes, how much Mrs. Moats makes, how much Wendy makes, how much Pam makes, how much the teachers make. It's open knowledge. We're not hiding anything. Why? We don't want to push you away. We don't want to be like the sons of Eli and push you away from the gospel. We don't want to push you away from the things of God. There's so many preachers on TV and the Internet that are pushing people away from the gospel. So many charlatans. You know, sometimes I believe people would rather follow a charlatan than they would an honest person. You say preacher. Oh, you think I made that up? 
Well, let's go to the book of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. Paul said, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which, we have, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with them. In verse 19 of uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he says, For ye suffer fools, the word moron, by the way, you suffer morons gladly, seeing yourselves are wise. For you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smites you on the face, they put up with it. Paul said in verse 15 of chapter 12, he says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. So why does Joel Osteen have so many people attending his church and phenomenal income and all? Why did Jimmy Baker succeed financially so much? And how did he fleece God's people so much? It seems like sometimes God's people would rather follow some illegitimate poser than they would the local preacher who they see, they know, is accountable, serves with them, lives with them, walks with them. That's because when they look at that internet guy, they don't see any flaws because they don't get to be around him. But the local guy, they get to be around him, and they see him, and they look down on him sometimes. I'm not talking about me. I'm, not, I'm just talking generally speaking. And oftentimes, the poor local guy, he's barely making it financially while his people are given to this internet guy who has absolutely no accountability for the money. He's buying him. What's the guy out? In, what's, the, what's the preacher right now? Uh, I can't think of his name. Probably the best I can. He's got three jets. He said he had to buy a third jet because the other two were too small. Stop. I know rich people that only have one jet. I know personally a guy that has a $20 million jet. And he just sold it because he said it was too much to hire two pilots, have them on standby all the time. And he said it was just, I'm going to fly commercial. Now, that guy who makes many, many millions of dollars a year, can only afford one jet and then got rid of it. What is a preacher doing with three jets? Or let me just say it this way. What's he even doing with one jet? He got that because people gave. Like these sons of Eli. I think you should stick with your local church. You can see it. You can touch it, you can feel it, you can, you can make it accountable, and that's where you want to put your investment, in your local church. If, they do, if they're doing what's right. I'm not, I'm just trying to give you a good case of biblical common sense. And I'm not saying you don't have it, but you should have biblical common sense. Are you, how, are you, how are you living? 
such a way to attract people or such a way to repulse people? Because one way or another, you're doing one or the other. We don't want to be hypocrites. Well, I don't want God to say, be far from me. From them that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be Samuel. One of the greatest priests of the Old Testament was Samuel. Samuel was raised up because of the hypocrisy of Eli's sons and because he preferred his sons over God. Let me say this. You need to tell your son. I've had people come in and say, my son's a homosexual. What do I do? Tell him he's a wicked sinner. Stop. Yeah, that's right. Don't pander it. Don't soft touch it. Call it out for what it is. If you have somebody committing immorality, adultery, or fornication, they're not going to go to heaven. There's five sin lists in the Bible, and the list always starts with immorality and goes down to this whole sin list, some 49 different sins. It says, they that practice these things shall have no part in the kingdom of God and his Christ. You, you quote what you want, I'll quote the word of God. I've tried to tell people, I have people come to me and say, well, once every six months or so I go out and commit adultery, go out and commit fornication. I said, you're probably going to wake up in hell someday. You said, you believe in eternal security? I do. For people that are really saved. For people that are really saved, you with me? Really born from above people will not continue into sin. First John, read the book. He that continues his sin, or actually First John says, he that sins is not of God. The word there is in the present linear text of the Greek. It means he that continues to sin is not of God. In the same thing over and over and over and over, and you don't, buddy. I found born again believers that are from heaven. They they're remorseful when they sin. The Holy Spirit of God is 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 grieved within them when they sin, and they confess their sin. And if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I find born again believers are not out there practicing wickedness. They do sin, but when they sin, they confess it, which simply means you agree with God, and He cleanses them from all unrighteousness and places them back into his fellowship. But the hypocrite's not doing that. The hypocrite continues to sin. Swagger. Jimmy Swagger. Seeing Hooker got caught. How many times did he see him before he got caught? Then a little while later he got caught again. Folks, that's not Repentance. You say, you think Jimmy Swagger is going to break hell wide open? I'm not his final judge, but it doesn't look good to me. I'm telling you this, I wouldn't want to face Jesus like he is. I'm not the judge. Ultimately, I can only go to the book and say, hey, warn the wicked of their wicked way. And their blood have they delivered from my hands. Don't dear people cause people to abhor God. You say, oh, nobody's watching. They're watching. They're watching you closer than you even believe. You that are out of control. People are for the first, let me say this. I'm a born-again Christian. You say, I'm a born-again Christian. What does that mean? That means you have the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, love, suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's self-control. You, as a born-again believer, need to be under self-control. 
in every area of your life. Don't work too much, don't sleep too much, don't eat too much. Because as soon as you do that and you get out of control in an area, the unsaved people are the first ones to look at you and say, I thought they weren't supposed to do that. I thought they were supposed to be in control. They're hypocrites. And they, they, they annul your words. And boy, they need to hear them. They're desperate to hear them. I said to that, as I said to that guy out in the parking lot, don't you go to hell because hypocrites are out there. Don't do it. Our Heavenly Father, give us wisdom, some common sense this morning, biblical common sense. May it help us not to push people away from the kingdom of God. Oh, God forbid. It'd be better not to tell people we were Christian. It'd be better not to confess anything about Christ if we're going to live in sin. God help us today to be born-again believers that will be lights of the world and salt of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.